Welcome to the LSE Events Podcast by the London School of Economics and Political Science. Get ready to hear from some of the most influential international figures in the social sciences. Good afternoon, everyone. Thank you for joining us. My name is Andres Velasco. I am the Dean of the School of Public Policy here at the LSE, and I am very, very, very happy to see all of you. I'm aware this is not term time, so people joining us today are making an extra effort, but I think the speaker and the subject matter very much merit that. I don't think I have to tell anyone in this room what a difficult and painful situation Ukraine is in nowadays, what a terrible aggression uh, the country is suffering at the hands of the Russian army and, and how deeply I'm sure we all feel, how strongly we all feel about you know, what an outrage this is. But of course, we also have to worry about, you know, as a former finance minister, pleased to have a central bank president with us in the room, uh, we have to worry about the economy, which remains there. We have to worry about how to pay for the war. And more importantly, we have to think about how the Ukrainian economy is reconstructed after the war, a task which will be absolutely gigantic, but uh, the fact that it is gigantic does not make it any less urgent or important or unavoidable. So to talk about the current situation, the wartime economy, the financial challenges that go hand in hand with uh, the wartime economy, and of course, the future efforts at reconstruction, we are delighted to have Valeria Gontareva joining us today, and I want to ask you to join me in a, in a round of applause. Valeria is a visiting fellow um, at the School of Public Policy. She has been uh, with us at the LSE for three or four years now, maybe more. Um, I had the tremendous privilege and honor of uh, visiting Valeria in Kyiv in her offices at the National Bank when she was working to set the Ukrainian economy back on its feet. So I was a first-hand witness at the absolutely amazing, extraordinary work she did. Uh, I have worked with central bank presidents in many countries. Uh, I can say from the bottom of my heart, I never saw anyone confront the kinds of challenges that she confronted. It was not simply a matter of fiddling with interest rates and controlling inflation. There was a huge mess in the banking system to be cleaned up. And I think it is fair to say that the person who restructured and cleaned up the Ukrainian banking sector single-handedly almost was Valeria. She's written a very, very interesting uh, 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 book about that, uh, that period. And of course, when you clean up banks in a country like Ukraine, uh, there are a lot of people who stop liking you. Uh, and uh, she has no uh, shortage of enemies probably in the Ukraine, but she has lots of friends. Uh, her friends are the Ukrainian people who are hugely thankful for the amazing work that she did uh, in her position as governor of the National Bank of Ukraine. And of course, in London, she remains a very much involved with her country. She remains very much involved with uh, what is going on, and she's a very keen uh, analyst uh, and commentator, and actor, I should say, in current events in her home country. So, Valeria, delighted that you're here with us. What uh, we're going to do is hand it over to her. Valeria has about a 15-minute presentation that she will share with the room. 
and um, we will then uh, move on to a brief dialogue and then questions from all of you. Before I hand the microphone over to Valeria, let me say a word or two on behalf of the person who should have been here, um, Baroness Minushafik, the LSE director. She sends her regrets. She is unwell, um, and as a result, she cannot be here, but uh, she sends Valeria her best from one central banker, Minushafik, to another central banker, Valeria Gontareva. Uh, she sends uh, her very, very best, and she's delighted, Valeria, that you're, you're joining us at this event today. So the microphone is yours, the floor is yours, and we very much look forward to your remarks. Thank you. Good afternoon. Very happy to be with you and very happy, of course, to be in this uh, amazing uh, show library. And uh, of course, maybe it's one of the best uh, place to be. And uh, thank, oh, thanks, of course, Andres and Minouj uh, for inviting me to be there today as a key speaker for Ukrainian very, very problematic times. And my uh, presentation is Ukraine's war, uh, wartime economy and financial challenges. And we start uh, right now from the short history and after you will understand why I am doing that. Uh, okay, it's not so, uh, okay. Uh, it, well, why I said that we start from, uh, uh, no, not from the today's event, but from short history, because for, uh, for you to understand that this war not started uh, 24th of February this year. This war started in 2014. And if you see right now, it's a picture of Ukrainian uh, main square, Maidan. It's uh, independent square in Kiev. And it was exactly the time when I joined Central Bank. At uh, that time, we already uh, joined Central Bank like a governor of Central Bank in this capacity. And uh, this time we lost 20% of our GDP due to annexation of Crimea and war in Donbass. The balance of payment collapsed completely. And in uh, addition to that, we had absolutely incredible, uh, unsustainable imbalances in all sectors. Uh, we will compare right now the situation in Ukraine and the situation of 2014. And it was absolutely incredible imbalances everywhere. It was a huge holes in Ukrainian state-owned companies. It was terminally ill banking sector. And it was absolutely uh, awful uh, situation uh, in each particular area. So, Ukraine went through the perfect storm uh, in 2014, uh, 2015. You, you see uh, this slide, I will not, of course, bother you with all details, but it, uh, it was macro-financial crisis, ban banking crisis, and currency crisis. We call uh, all these triple crises like a perfect storm. And uh, we start our reforms immediately. Uh, that's why it will, it's a very, very good point for all of us in this particular part of war, and you will understand why. Because if you start your reform immediately, you will have your uh, success in very soon, in a very short time. And of course, we start our reforms immediately because uh, all international community supported us. Uh, the umbrella of external financing was $40 billion. 
it's mentioned in this slide, IMF 17.5 uh, from IMF, uh, EU huge funding, World Bank, uh, different swaps lines uh, with uh, different central banks. For example, uh, no one remembers that, but I'd like to tell you that the biggest swap in the history maybe of China central bank was a uh, swap with National Bank of Ukraine. I especially arrived uh, to Shanghai in 2015 and with Dr. Joe, the governor of Public Bank of China, we signed a very big contract. It was contract in yuan against local Ukrainian local currency Grivna in equivalent of 2.6 billion. And I still truly believe that in very soon China will move from to be hidden supporter of Russia to be the real uh, supporter of, of Ukraine. I truly believe that it's time for China to do that. And it was also in that time, uh, it was the restructuring of external uh, debt. It was uh, for 18 billion uh, restructuring. It was, unfortunately, it was not a very easy exercise uh, because uh, all these imbalances in all sectors require some uh, really write-off. That's why it was uh, also 20% uh, of nominal uh, amount, $3 billion uh, uh, was already uh, right off um, and uh, all of that preserved macroeconomic stability in Ukraine and allowed us to accumulate really uh, very good and decent level of international reserves. When our work, when, our, uh, when uh, this particular war started, we, Ukraine will have 30 billion dollars international reserves. When I joined Central Bank, net reserve of Central Bank was minus 3 billion. For you to understand, from minus 3 to plus 30. And uh, that's why it will be absolutely different resilience and you will, for macroeconomic stability in our country, and you will see that. So, how we, do, uh, how we did all our reforms? Ukraine was not reinventing an Ukrainian bicycle. We immediately began to implement European principles and standards. All our reforms agenda was fully compliant with EU directives. And it's also very, very important for you to understand because uh, a few days ago, Ukraine got uh, real proof that we are candidate of European Union. That's why right now we start our way to be from candidate to membership. But it's very, very important to understand that even in 2014, we immediately started all our reforms in line with EU agenda. And uh, Mission Impossible, it's only, we completed all major reforms in, uh, of the financial and banking sector in three years. We moved to flexible exchange rate regime. We introduced a new monetary policy of inflation targeting. And we built a very powerful and modern central bank. I could tell you that even when I left central bank, I was so proud that institution is a real modern institution. And even that time, uh, I truly believe that Central Bank of Ukraine could be a member of uh, European Central Bank community because it was that time was already prepared for, for this uh, to, to, to join European Union not of uh, unfortunately all sectors in Ukraine uh, are ready but uh, banking sector and central bank was absolutely ready even in 2018 or 2019 to be ready uh, ready to be part of your central bank community European Central Bank community and right now, the next slide, we will move uh, from history to nowadays. 
it's a prerequisite of new war. Why it's happened? Why we still, uh, I still remind you 2014 and 2015? Why we're still talking about the war? And, uh, and you, you see, of course, it's uh, my, my view for prerequisites of new uh, war. First of all, world leaders did not respond properly to Russian aggression of 2014 and 2015. You remember they introduced some sanctions, uh, a little bit here, a little bit there, and nothing more. And all trade flows with Russia, all oil and gas with Russia, all uh, even uh, capital markets operations with Russia, everything was in place. And the second, uh, all history of our planet shows that trying to please aggressor only encourages him. Everybody knows this, uh, it, it, it's like a gist. Everybody knows about that. But in the same time, uh, you remember the rhetoric and policy of appeasing Putin. This rhetoric and policy was totally wrong, totally wrong. And finally, uh, you see what's happened, uh, full dependence of Europe from Russian oil and gas. And all of that created cascading risks of economies and societies around the world. You see right now, all world pay price for all this dependency. Because you remember that in Germany, it was even 10, 10 years ago, they switched completely to maybe they stop their nuclear energy production and they switch uh, to Russian oil and gas, and 50% of their energy is still Russian. And uh, you could not stop it immediately. And Russia, of course, tried to use all of that uh, like economic weapons. Uh, and, uh, you know, that's why it was a prerequisite of new war. And what, what was happened, everybody knows, in our planet of Earth. 21st of February, fully-fledged bloody war with bombs, missiles, tanks, and military troops started. And started, and right now we already, uh, it's more than four months, it's a real war. And you, you know what's happened yesterday in Kiev, it was a bombing again, it was again uh, some uh, casualties, and you know, it's not a casualties. Uh, I was really surprised when I recognized that war is a legal instrument in this world. I am 57 years old, and when I saw from the first day of war that war is allowed, that Geneva Convention is in place, that only if you, you have some special type of war uh, crimes, you will be war criminal. That's why just casualties or how they call it in war, uh, in all this Geneva Convention, it's called like uh, collateral damage. Means all our people, our population, it's a casualties, all co collateral damage. I think it's absolutely not acceptable. We are living uh, in only in our imagination that war is not allowed. War is still allowed according to the law. And unfortunately, uh, you know, only after Bucha, you, you remember all, all these re really uh, absolutely incredible crimes. Only after Mariupol, uh, Putin was called like war criminal, 
not because he started bloody war in Ukrainian territory, but only because it was really about our population, about real war criminals. We need to maybe document each particular crime. It's not like a war crime generally. It's a, each particular crime should be documented. And I think, of course, in 21st century, when in our mind we are talking about how to, uh, how to live with inequality or we're talking about climate change, we need to set up the first rule. No war. War is a criminal affairs. And country who starts the real bloody war, it's a country of terrorism. It's a, ter a terrorist country. And I think that maybe after four months of this war, we will see this. Because from the first day of this war, I started to propose different type of sanctions to, to everybody who I could write my proposal. And uh, the first uh, in my proposal was always stop relation with Russia and all international organization. Country aggressor could not be the part of Europe, uh, of uh, United uh, Union. It could not be the part of uh, IMF or World Bank or European Bank of Reconstruction and Development. It's just impossible. It should be withdrawn immediately from membership. Unfortunately, it's still, uh, Russia is still country there. Also, I ask immediately to put Russia to a black uh, list of um, fat list, like a country of terrorists, but it's still not in a, in a black list. And, and you know, uh, th that's why uh, hypocrisy of our world could uh, move us maybe farther, mm. because as I show you prerequisite of this particular war, it's a very weak uh, answer from all international politicians to the war of 2014, active phase of war 2014 and 2015. And uh, from the first day uh, of war, we lost 50% of our GDP. You remember last time when I saw you, 2014, it was 20% of our GDP. And of course, we could not right now even compare uh, the physical destruction. And f because infrastructure right now in Ukraine, it's fully ruined. E uh, that time in 2014, 2015, even when we lost 20% uh, of our GDP because uh, uh, Donbass, uh, eastern part of Ukraine, was really in industrial part. All other territory of Ukraine was in more or less good condition. Right now it's a different story because right now infrastructure ruined everywhere because Putin continue daily bombing Ukraine. Yesterday he only he, he, uh, sent 50, 50 bombs, missiles to Kiev, uh, to, to, to the capital uh, yesterday. It, it, we are sitting right now and we have no idea what's going on right now there. So, 50% uh, of our GDP, uh, of course, full collapse of tax export and other revenues. Uh, tax revenues dropped by 70%, export revenues dropped by 60%. Uh, physical, uh, only physical damage to infrastructure equals to $104 billion as of today. No, 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 as of one week ago when I prepare my presentation. Today, of course, I, uh, after the yesterday's bombing, it, it, it could be 10 additional billion uh, to this figure. Export capacity physically destroyed. The main port are occupied. Uh, catastrophic losses for our agricultural sectors, not only for today, but for years ahead. 
And the total economic loss as of today is estimated $564 billion. It's a three times of annual GDP of Ukraine. That's why it's absolutely incredible number, uh, even very difficult to, to absorb uh, this number in my mind. But, you know, when you are a central banker, you always think about billions. But for me, it's even these figures, it's even for my mind, it's blowing my mind. And uh, right now, of course, because our, uh, we are sitting right now not in a political institute, but of course, LSC, it's economic and political science, but we will be more talking about economic problems and economic uh, challenges. Uh, that's why uh, it's uh, absolutely incredible when you lost 50% uh, of your GDP, 70% uh, of your tax revenues, your export revenues. That's why it's absolutely incredible amounts. And Ukraine has a huge financial hole and we need to fill it in. And Ukraine is running a monthly budget deficit is $5 billion. And so uh, only in, uh, for 2022, deficit will be near 30% of our GDP or $40 billion. And uh, also Ukraine faced 19.5 billion debt redemption in, two, in this year, including 11 billion of uh, internal debt and 4.5 billion of external debt. And the biggest Eurobond redemption is in September, uh, circa $2 billion. It's a Eurobond redemption. I was surprised today to hear that our Minister of Finance, Ukrainian Minister of Finance, said that uh, Ukraine like to have access to markets, uh, to borrow money. I think it's in wartime, it's a quite difficult exercise. You know that officially Moody's recognized uh, the first Russian default uh, since uh, 1918, maybe, uh, nobody even remember when Russia defaulted uh, for their obligations. Now, of course, Russia right now calls it its technical default, but nevertheless, default is a default. But I st still believe that Ukraine needs uh, reprofiling, not even restructuring with cutoff uh, with some discount, not it, just reprofiling of short-term instruments. I think it's all investors will support um, the, this reprofiling uh, for next, uh, as minimum as a five or ten years, I think it's absolutely a good idea um, for Ukraine to do that right now. But nevertheless, Minister of Finance today said that they'd like to have access to markets and they still not start any restructuring procedures. Who knows? Uh, I will recommend him to do that, like we did in 2014 and 2015. So military expense uh, of a budget is $10 billion as of today. And $10 billion just military exp uh, expenses when we have absolutely no uh, revenues. That's why you could imagine uh, the, the real difficult difficulties and challenges in Ukraine. And uh, three directions of international support, humanitarian and military aid. I think it's absolutely incredible uh, what kind of amount of hu humanitarian and military aid Ukraine already got. And you know that uh, all these uh, weapons, uh, it's provided like grants. Ukraine pay nothing for that. When I'm, I'm talking about min military expenses, it means not uh, foreign uh, weapons. Foreign weapons, it's still for us uh, real huge support like grants and humanitarian aid as well. And you know that America already voted for so-called land lease program. Uh, this land lease program, it's... Um, 
similar, the same, uh, similar to the program when America helped Europe and uh, United Kingdom uh, during the Second World War. That's why uh, right now we have a huge uh, American support for $40 billion. And in the same time, after, uh, from, uh, starting from October, this land lease program start, uh, will start. Also, it also it's not absolutely free of charge. It's a special type of settlement. But uh, for for the time being, we will get all weapons uh, free of charge. And after only when war will uh, war will uh, will be ended, finally we will return partially uh, the rest of these weapons or start to pay for some of uh, of these. That's why it's a very very good program to support Ukraine. And after, uh, you see, the, the third one, uh, for, for, for the time being, it's a real emergency. It's a budget deficit support. And uh, the third one we will discuss today also, it's Ukrainian reconstruction plan. Uh, we call it Marshall Plan. It's, again, like a similar to Second uh, World War. And uh, it was, uh, frankly speaking, it was, for me, it's an ideal picture how to finance budget deficit uh, because, like, immediate relief. Because like a central banker, you do not want to finance uh, your military and other expenditures through your printing uh, machine. Uh, because you know the consequences of printing money without uh, any limits. It means that without uh, pro proper control, uh, very soon you will get uh, high inflation and of course devaluation of your currency and all of that. Uh, you observe all of that right now even here. Inflation 9%, everybody said that it's only because of uh, high energy prices. I remember these high energy prices even 10 years ago. Uh, oil was absolutely in the same price level, uh, but inflation was not the same. That's why you, you, you know that uh, last uh, 20 years central banks uh, had very excessive monetary policy uh, and the, right now you see the consequences of all of that unfortunately that's why for me it's a real breakdown I, I, uh, it's um, IFI commitments uh, here it's 11.8 billion dollars local QE it's central bank national bank of Ukraine support uh, US commitment uh, 8.5 EU commitment right now for 9 billion that's why it's a pretty good uh, stable um, uh, stable financing for me, like 25% uh, only Central Bank of Ukraine will finance a budget deficit. But it's a dream picture. Even when you see all commitments there, you will see right now the real picture, how it works today. And also I mentioned here public external debt restructuring is inevitable for short-term instruments. I already mentioned that when I comment about Ministry of Finance announcement today. It's a re real uh, picture. Uh, unfortunately, it's not 25%. It's since the beginning of war, the budget deficit was financed as 50-50 by external loans and grants and local QE. Unfortunately, uh, this uh, slide was also prepared, uh, this slide uh, one week ago, but uh, as of today, I could tell you even worse situation. 60% central bank and only 40% international community. I truly believe that central bank right now crying to stop 
this dominance of local financing. Uh, and uh, I truly believe that all international community will accelerate their efforts because the main idea, you know, to preserve macroeconomic stability, otherwise you will again uh, get a perfect storm. Uh, right now it's a real disaster, but you will get uh, panic everywhere if it, it will not be stable situation. I truly believe that central bank still has decent reserves. It's about $25 billion. They still uh, could preserve macrofinancial stability if all international commitments, uh, real commitments, will be delivered in time. And um, uh, the third, uh, of course, uh, it's very interesting uh, and but quite uh, challenging and uh, difficult even for whole world. Uh, it's a new Marshall Plan for Ukraine. Uh, everybody asked me uh, about, uh, I think that I'm quite optimistic about the Marshall Plan for Ukraine, but I could, I'd like to tell you this way. Uh, Marshall Plan uh, was introduced, you, you remember, it was U.S. Uh, Marshall Plan, and they spent 3% of their GDP to support uh, all uh, Europe economy, including, of course, uh, the United Kingdom. In the same time, and right now everybody asks me, do you really believe that someone will provide you like Europe 3% of their GDP? I said, guys, it's absolutely different story right now. I truly believe that we have third world war. Even if this third world war right now in physically in Ukrainian territory. Even if in our Bible books was written that third world war will be nuclear. Why? It's just written. Third World War already there because it's all civilized countries against one particular dictator, crazy dictator. That's why everybody support Ukraine. You know, this uh, special conference, so-called Rammstein conference, even the last Rammstein conference was in Brussels. It was 50 countries sitting together, providing all kinds of support to Ukraine. Weapons, of course, financial support, but Rammstein, it's about weapons. Means all countries concentrated their efforts and support Ukraine. But it means just that this war in our physically on our territory, but it's a third world war of all countries uh, uh, against one dictator and crazy dictator with nuclear weapons in his hands. And that's why uh, I'm absolutely sure that about Marshall Plan, it will be a different story because you do not need 3% from one particular country to big Europe. You need small percentage of GDP of this country towards one small Ukraine. Ukraine. That's why I think it will be not so difficult exercise. The main exercise for all of us to understand the priorities of our lives. The first priority, of course, it's existential priority to be alive to be without tanks, to be without bombs. You know that recently, it was a few days ago, when deputy of parliament in Russia said that London should be the next destination for bombing. Observe them. Uh, them sometimes, you, you think it's just a crazy uh, rhetoric. Believe me, crazy rhetoric started. And after, we know in Ukraine definitely, and after you will see all of that in action. And of course, because, uh, you know, right now, uh, United Kingdom is also one of uh, Putin's enemy, London also became quite a dangerous 
place uh, for nuclear possible bombing. That's why we need to immediately stop, of course, uh, Putin with all this, uh, not just rhetoric, he really started to do uh, here action. And you know that cornered uh, crazy beast, it's, it's really, really dangerous. And we need to, to, to accelerate our efforts, and unfortunately all international community first months, they just uh, think to give weapons or not, to do this support or not. Uh, of course, thanks to God, they switched uh, three months ago to real strong support of Ukraine. But right now, I think all of us need to, need to switch our mind to priorities. We need to understand that climate change, of course, it's a very, very important issue. But it's not a priority right now. Priority right now, it's how for London to be safe from ne next nuclear bombing. And not only London. Why London? It's only because London is a megapolis. Of course, was, uh, New York would be the second one. But, uh, you know, uh, all of us, you remember the Beatles song, we all, all in a yellow submarine. We all live in a yellow submarine. But Putin's submarines are, are not yellow. They're gray, and they're staying in the English Channel, 100 kilometers from us right now. And that's why it's not a joke anymore. Uh, but back to Marshall Plan. Uh, Marshall Plan... Uh, yeah. Perhaps you can begin wrapping up so we will have a, some, some, some sort of a chance, sir. Okay. To the audience so, also Ma Marshall Plan. Uh, sources of Marshall Plan. Uh, it's uh, central bank frozen assets. Uh, for, for example, it's EU grants. And, and SDR, IMF SDR allocation, it's just an idea how to do that. For, for example, 300 million of Russian assets, the frozen assets of the Russian Central Bank. And I truly believe that frozen, it's really, really good, but they need to be confiscated. And Canada yesterday introduced the first legislation about confiscation of assets, state assets, uh, about private individuals, uh, Russian assets of private individuals we could discuss. Definitely, uh, central bank is a state assets, and state is a country of aggressor, country of terrorists. That's why, no doubt. SDR allocation, it means uh, more technical, EU, uh, EU grant, it's also as well. The main threat right now for Ukraine, it's, uh, it's United Nations. Uh, declares that nine out of ten of Ukra Ukrainians could be pushed into poverty. I think it's main threat. And uh, good, of course, uh, Ukraine uh, right now is an official candidate for uh, membership, and uh, Ukraine candidate status for Ukraine is an ideal response to Russian aggression. I think, you, you know, it was more supported, uh, European Union supported us, even when Ukraine not performed all uh, Copenhagen uh, criteria right now. Uh, but these criteria should be done, but like a post uh, status. Uh, normally it should be done before. That's why, of course, it's a very, very good signal. Uh, but for right now, I truly believe that after such a 
bloody war, Ukraine government will do that. A very good initiative of your European Commission, it's a strategic reconstruction plan. European Commission proposed to, to build all this Marshall Plan, special platform in Europe. I am really supported to this idea. Uh, all stakeholders uh, will uh, join European uh, platform for Marshall Plan, and you know why? Because we are European candidate, we need to move uh, to Europe, and I truly believe that Marshall Plan could do uh, all of that quickly and efficiently towards Europe, Euro, European membership, and it's an absolutely right way to, to build uh, this platform uh, under the uh, umbrella of European Union. And uh, its recovery plan, it's again emergency phase, war economy, stabilization phase, development phase, and uh, we will not maybe a uh, few words just about banking sector. I'm really, really proud. Uh, you know, uh, we, mm, uh, it, it was a real, absolutely incredible picture when you, all Ukrainian banks are work now uh, because after cleanup exercise of Ukrainian banking system, our banks were really good capitalized, liquid, uh, with very good risk management. That's why resilience of banking sector was absolutely incredible. And I'm very proud of that because it's also part of my particular work. I will not uh, bother you. It's about recapitalization plan for, uh, for uh, Ukrainian bank after war. We could discuss uh, all of that, but uh, my time is over. And right now the war has seismic global consequences from, uh, from human suffering to economic shocks for all of us. And right now we have, I call it 3D world crisis, food, energy, finance. And as consequences, high inflation, stagflation, starvation in some countries, and social unrest. Unfortunately, not only developing countries will see all of that in emerging markets. All of us will see very soon high inflation, stagflation, even stagflation, uh, hope not starvation, and, uh, so, but social unrest. That's all. Thank you very much, Valeria. Clearly, the story is a grim story, but it is also a story of hope and courage by the people uh, of Ukraine. I have a number of questions, but in the interest of time, I'm just going to ask two quick questions of Valeria, and then we're going to open it up for questions uh, for the audience. And I want to ask one question about economics and one question about politics, if I may, Valeria. Hi, I'm interrupting this event to tell you about another awesome LSE podcast that we think you'd enjoy. LSE IQ asks social scientists and other experts to answer one intelligent question, like, why do people believe in conspiracy theories? Or, can we afford the super rich? Come check us out. Just search for LSE IQ wherever you get your podcasts. Now, back to the event. On economics, and you touched on this, but I'd just like to get your, sort of, your, your summary of where we go. The numbers involved in financing both the wartime and, and, and uh, economy and reconstruction are gigantic. Just, just to remind the audience, five billion US dollars a month budget deficit. It's very, very large, 60% of which is being financed by printing money. You can do that to some extent, but you cannot do that all the time. Um, and some of the figures you gave for the future reconstruction, we're talking about hundreds of billions of dollars. By contrast, say, the biggest loan the IMF ever gave to a country was 50 
uh, you know, the IMF would have to do 10 times as much for Ukraine as it did for a country like Argentina uh, a few years back. And of course, there's a very promising but also legally thorny issue, potentially thorny issue, of seizing central bank assets of Russia, of course, and using that to pay for reconstruction. So putting it all together, and for the audience, in, in just a brief summary, who is going to pay for this? What shares can be plausibly allocated to whom? And, and, and will it be enough? OK. Uh, first of all, of course, when I uh, hear that our Minister of Economy um, visited um, Davos, and she said that, uh, you know, we need one trillion dollars for I, our I, reconstruction. I, I, I was there, I heard that. Yeah. And after was our conference here uh, in London School of Economics about uh, cooperations of international donors. It was a very, very good conference here. And uh, I was also vocal about this one trillion. I said, guys, if you will do something like that, you will never get even uh, real 100 billion. Uh, because uh, you need to consider the war not uh, like, um, you know, someone who should repay you all your damages and all your GDP losses and also all losses of your potential GDP. You need to consider war like a hurricane, like a real uh, earthquake, like something which you really need it. And after you need to start your reforms to build your chains with European Union, and it will be absolutely different story. That's why for me, uh, it's not uh, if you do everything profession, uh, pro uh, they will help uh, all international donors. Because you mention IMF, if you mention IMF, it means that right now we need to discuss with you how IMF should increase their own capital, how EBRD should increase their own capital to be enough allocation, it will be very, very technical discussion. So, of yes. course, we, we could discuss with you because you're former minister and I'm former governor of Central Bank. But, uh, I, uh, but all countries right now, for example, it's really uh, support from uh, all donors like U.S. committed 9 billion. Now, EU committed 9 billion. U.S. committed 8.5 billion to support budget. We are talking right now only to support budget. And and, uh, of course, we need to end this war as soon as possible, because otherwise, if it will be endless process, you know, and if Putin will continue to bomb in Ukrainian city and damage will be growing then day by day, it will be endless exercise. But of course, uh, Ukraine requires uh, really heavy weapons. These heavy weapons just arrive to Ukraine, just arrive. It's not yet on a, a battlefield. It's partially somewhere. That's why I truly believe that to the end of this year, we will finish the um, real hot uh, phase of this war. But again, Putin will never sign capitulation letter. And Ukraine never put our uh, flag to Kremlin. It means that in one particular day, we need to recognize that uh, this phase hot phase finished and we start reconstruction and recovery because it will be not exact day when we start. That's why we need to start right now our preparation process. And of course in your preparation time if you prepare like a country reasonable budget for reconstruction of your infrastructure, uh, I, I truly believe that international support uh, will definitely help you with all of that. And after reform toward, towards European Union because even in a, a peaceful 
full time, uh, the average life between candidacy status and membership status is eight years. And I truly believe that Ukraine could go uh, faster, so-called fast track, like we got our uh, candidacy status. But we need to do our homework. We need to work hard to prepare not a fairy tales, but a real reconstruction plan. In and fact, about, that, uh, sorry, about yes. Russian assets, uh, yes. uh, it's, it's not fair that all donors use taxpayers' money to pay Ukraine for damage which was caused by Russian aggression. I truly believe that all international community could pay their money only because they need to quickly to provide us. But all these assets should be used, confiscated, and covered these countries and of course, Russian central bank assets, it's a very, uh, for me, it's a very easy exercise because it's already frozen. And if country will be recognized like a country of aggressor, a country of terrorism, it will be not just frozen, frozen assets. It could be confiscated do, in do, forward of, again, international donors to cover their support. Do you not worry that that might be objected to in UK or US courts? For private individuals, I truly believe that it could be, and of course we could discuss all of that, uh, because private individual assets could also help uh, not only Ukraine. You know that a lot of international business sacrifice their businesses. For example, McDonald's. They built 30 years their business in Russia. And they sacrificed, they lost a lot of money, a lot of the best locations. They will never find all these locations again because they built business during 30 years. They sacrificed because they understand priority. Yeah. And all of us should understand that existential threat is a priority. And if we will do this way, of course, it will be good not only help Ukraine, but also help to all businesses who sacrifice because of Ukraine and stop their businesses there. But how to do that when we need this money, of course, could be from all these frozen assets of private individuals. But again, for me, how you will, if already sanctions already introduced on these people, for, in my mind, it means that somehow these people link to Putin's regime. Mm -hmm. which, if it's not true, yeah. if it's not true, of course, it could be a dispute in a court. That's why it's a long exercise. For uh, Russian state assets, it's a very simple exercise. And Canada yesterday showed how to write, a, write wording in your law to do that. Canadians are ahead. One more time. Quick political question, and then we will open it up. Um, clearly, it is very, very good news that uh, Ukraine is on fast track to join the EU. But as you mentioned, uh, even if the track is very fast, the obstacles are gigantic. Tell us a little bit more of what that might look like. Uh, let's do a, you know, think beyond the war. Could Ukraine, for instance, join the uh, common currency? Um, how does it affect not just economics but politics, of course? You know, the EU's borders move much further east. Um, uh, it may be good for democracy in Europe, but clearly the Russians will not like it. And as we have learned, the Russians can do nasty things when they don't like something. What does a post-Ukraine accession to the EU Europe look like? 
You know, first of all, we need to stop to consider Russia seriously because we need to create such environment that this isolation and this paria will be completely isolated during the Putin regime. If Putin regime will change, and I truly believe that all these sanctions and uh, defeat on a battlefield will help us, to all of us, to uh, end Putin's regime. And in, when Putin's regime will be ended, I truly believe that we could start uh, again trading with Russia because Russia is a very, very rich country of oil, gas, and all of us need oil and gas. And right now I think it's better, uh, it was better to create not just an embargo, but it's better to create, for example, very strict procedure like oil for food means oil for medicine, oil for something, uh, because we need oil and gas, but uh, to provide, for example, some, some special type of medicine or something like that to, to Russia. It could also, uh, but we will, when Putin regime will be ended, I think we will introduce some, something like, like that. And uh, about European Union way to go, you know, uh, when I was in a central bank, uh, in one day, when was the first strategic session in a central bank, I said that let's create a dream, what we'd like to uh, achieve in 10 years' time. Means 10 years' time in 2014 was already 2024. And first of all, it was Ukraine is a part of European Union. And I also... Uh, said, I'd like that we, in one day we will not be just a, a central bank like a part of European Union, but we'd like to have one currency, European currency, and I truly believe that central bank in Ukraine will no longer need it because centralized policy of European central bank is quite enough uh, for European countries because right now you see what's going on in uh, Italian debt, because when you start even in one currency to have different policies, you will uh, in one day face the music. And it's absolutely clear for me that even uh, the UK staying with European Union, how long? 30 years? All the time try not to introduce borders in Schengen, they always try to introduce their own monetary policy. They always like to keep their own currency. I truly believe that if you really build one European Union, you need one European currency. That's why my answer, yes, European currency. Single currency. currency. Single currency. Okay. Gordon Brown would have uh, disagreed in a few years back, but uh, that's old history. But Brexit <laughs> happened because finally it was a disagreement, you know. All right, we have about seven or eight minutes, uh, enough for a few questions, not a lot of time. So let me uh, ask you to keep the questions brief, please. Maybe we'll take three and then uh, return to Valeria. The gentleman in the green jacket. Yes, sir. Uh, do we have a microphone? Yes. It was an interesting um, uh, lecture. But what I'm worried about is that it's been done before, uh, after 1918, after the Second World after the First World War, and during the interwar years, that didn't quite work out, didn't it? What makes you think that the same policy will work for Russia? Mm -hmm. And where do you get this idea that the EU and NATO are civilized? Mm -hmm. 
I mean, they had, what, 110 years to get it to work, and we're still in, with the same language and the same problems. I mean, why is it that uh, the Balkans and Europe, uh, Eastern Europe can't get over this love for uh, settling scores in a violent way? And why would you think that a uh, Marshall Plan for Ukraine would work when in actual fact the Marshall Plan was used to uh, create stability across Europe in after the Second World War, not just one country? So we have one difficult experience after World War I and a more successful one after World War II, Valeria. Which one will it be? But let me just take a couple more questions. Yes. Yes, please. There's a microphone next to you. Oh, right. Okay. Thank you. Thank you very much indeed. Um, the EU did tell uh, Ukraine that it had to deal with the oligarchs. And I wondered if you could just explain how they might do this. I understand some of them have had a very corrupting effect on the economy and politics of Ukraine. Thank you. Well, you've come to the right place. Valeria spent years <laughs> cleaning up the banking system, which was uh, equivalent to uh, battling the oligarchs. Yeah, Woman in the black here in the front. If we could have a microphone, please. Thank you. So we have a problem with the wheat right now. We know that Russia blocking Black Sea and stuff like that, but we're dealing with the wheat which was produced before the war. So we know that because of the war, there will be less and less wheat produced. What are your vision, how that will affect? world economy, mm -hmm. like it will be a little bit different situation mm -hmm. than this last slide. So can the world live without Ukrainian grain? It's a good question. There's a lot of Ukrainian grain, by the way. Valeria, back to you. <clears throat> okay, the first question may be the most difficult one, because I need to, to tell you that uh, history at that time will be the new uh, history and not uh, to repeat the old one. But I truly believe that uh, today G7 sitting together and President Zelensky is on screen with G7. All G7, all developed countries have no doubt that existential threat, it's the main threat, not COVID, not even uh, climate change or ecological problems, not even uh, budget deficit, not even oil, uh, oil and gas prices. They truly believe that it's existential threat. When uh, seven leaders of the world truly believe to something, I, I think we will go by other way than after First World War and Second World War. And about Marshall Plan, we already discussed, uh, discussed that it's absolutely different story. It's 50 countries will help one small Ukraine, you know, and Ukraine will be part of Europe. For Europe, it's a very, very good idea. It's a very good agricultural country which help Ukraine with agricultural products. It's an excellent IT sector which help Ukraine with innovations because you're sitting in London, you're paying all of that using telephone, but please visit Frankfurt and try to pay uh, <laughs> your, uh, by telephone somewhere in a cafe or restaurant and you will experience problems. That's why Europe exactly need a very good mind of IT sector. And moreover, you remember that nuclear energy in Ukraine right now, 75% production, it's a 15 blocks of Ukrainian nuclear plants. You remember that hypocrisy with uh, all these 
so-called Chernobyl series put, push us to wrong direction. Chernobyl happened not because of nuclear power, it's the wrong one. Nuclear power is a green one. But Chernobyl happens because of Soviet Union, absolutely awful management and no security at all. That's why we will bring to Ukraine, I mean, we'll bring to Europe very strong even nuclear uh, energy, which needed even. Uh, UK, you know, they're buying 25% of energy. UK is buying through act, uh, uh, interconnect from France. And France produced 75% of their energy using uh, nuclear plants. What we are doing? It's a type of hypocrisy. That's why the first idea for whole world right now, stop hypocrisy. It's a, about second uh, question about oligarchs. It's a very, very interesting question. And as uh, uh, Andres already mentioned, the most hated person against uh, in Ukraine, uh, of course, uh, still now maybe, <laughs> was Valeria Gontreva. It's me. Finally, uh, I put my resignation letter in 2017, not because uh, I was not capable to, to do any more reforms. First of all, of course, I consider that all major reforms were done in banking sector, and we saw even the new wartime that banking sector was very stable and reliable and resilient. But I put my resignation letter after three years, when my contract was for seven years, because of death threats. And, but these death threats were exactly from oligarchs, because uh, we closed 100 banks, and one biggest bank, which belonged to one very aggressive oligarch, Mr. Kolomoisky, was nationalized. And uh, it was, compared to Ukrainian GDP, it was absolutely incredible amount. When I told to my peers in other central banks that uh, it was uh, money stolen from this bank was equal to $5.5 billion, state injected $5.5 billion. But again, for U.S., when you are talking about 5.5, when they, you remember this Ponzi scheme of Madov for $60 billion, they said, oh, my God, five. But compared to Ukrainian economy, it was 30% of private individuals' deposits and 40% of Ukrainian monetary base. Compared to magnitude of your economy, it was absolutely incredible. Do you know where this oligarch right now? Do you know that he was a great supporter of Zelensky? And I truly believe that Zelensky, because he is right now, even for me, he's a war hero, I truly believe that he will, in one day, he will be get rid of his supporter. But this oligarch is still sitting in Ukraine. He's tried to hide himself on the shoulders of hero President Zelensky. And I truly believe that uh, when uh, European Union requires from us prerequisites to be even candidate. Right now it's like a post-requisite, not a prerequisite, but one of them, it's a rule of law, it's a new court system, it's a new anti-corruption uh, agenda. It's, uh, it's a list of seven points, and we will see uh, right now. That's why fight with oligarchs. Uh, uh, but again, uh, when we are talking oligarchs, it's a very, very interesting topic. Of course, I could tell you a lot. We could not consider all businessmen like oligarchs. And when in our country it was some know-how, Ukrainian bicycle, it was law 
all on oligarchs. I think you do not need to have a law on oligarchs because we have uh, clean up Ukrainian banking system to all oligarchs because you introduce equal playing field for everybody, equal requirement, disclosure information. And of course, for other sectors, you need anti-monopoly committee working. You need some regulators working. Because in the Ukrainian banking system, there, there are no any oligarchs anymore. But when I joined Central Bank, it was not just money laundering machines and zombie banks. It was oligarch banking. But we good, get, uh, got rid of that. And that's why, uh, you, you know, we need to do that, not like writing uh, anti-oligarch law. There is not such a law in the world. It's an anti-monopoly committee and uh, regulations. And if even awful oligarch perform according to all your requirements, treat them like a businessman. It's my answer to oligarch. And about harvest. Of course, I'm sh absolutely shocked, not only about that they, arrest, uh, they blocked our ports, uh, they uh, also do all this bloody war in our south uh, bank of Black Sea, but daily they steal our grain. They steal our grain, they steal our metals, they steal our sun uh, energy panels, they steal even, uh, you know, toilets. Uh, they, they, and how we tolerate all of that? Who are buying this stolen grain? It's a different story, but again, it's... Uh, it's, it's again, it's a stop hypocrisy. You could not uh, buy uh, stolen grain when Russia pretends that it's a grain uh, from Russia. It's grain from Ukraine. Uh, and it's a shame right now. I think we need to stop it immediately. And uh, about harvest, uh, I truly believe that 70% of uh, our agricultural sector is still working. It was uh, uh, quite, uh, but again, if we do not unblock ports, or we will not find other solution. Maybe it's time for us to consider other solution. All this harvest, which will be ready in uh, September, October, sorry, it's, there is no place to store. And maybe it, will, it should be some solution for um, uh, our donors uh, to buy this uh, grain right now in the forward contracts to pay uh, our producers real money uh, for working capital and after maybe to create some storages on the border but it's better in Poland because if we build uh, storages in our territory tomorrow the bomb of Russia will really uh, destroy our storage with grain uh, right now, I create a very um, interesting working group. It's uh, a program what we try to do. It's a business support program. And we try to, introduce, uh, to, to show different ideas for different instruments, what to do, how to help business, not just a budget or Marshall Plan, but how to help business today. Because, you know, each particular audit report started from going concern principles. If companies are not going concerned what you'd like to achieve down the road. Thank you very, very much. Uh, I'm sure we all wish we had more time, plenty to discuss, very, very difficult issues. But um, we're out of time. So please, everybody, join me in thanking Valeria and maybe in the person of Valeria, also providing a round of applause to recognize the extraordinary courage and valor of people in the Ukraine today. Thank you, Valeria, for being here.
podcast on your favorite podcast app and help other listeners discover us by leaving a review visit lse.ac.uk forward slash events to find out what's on next we hope you join us at another lse event soon